My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 29 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. This week we talk to Richard Noonan from the Irish Mountain Running Association about their calendar of racing that they have just published, as well as chatting to Richard about IMRA and what its objectives are, how it works and a real insight into all the volunteer work that goes on behind the scenes there. Rene Borg is also here and this week we talk with Rene about how to make sure that running, our best distressor, doesn't end up actually causing us stress. So everybody, let's get our running gear on, let's go. Good to be with you all again, everyone. And before we call in Rene and Richard, I thank you as always to our patrons and those that help keep us going every month. Gary and Warnock and Siobhan Fitzsimon joined us since our last episode. So thank you, Gary and Siobhan, for that. And for everybody else, if you do like our company on your runs, if you like listening to the show as you're going about your day, please do pop over to Patreon and we'd be very grateful of your support as your help and support with the donations on Trail Running Ireland over on patreon.com do help keep the podcast going all year round let's get straight into it this week and i'm looking forward to talking to renee about this week's topic because as much as we love our running we do need to be careful sometimes that running our great medicine for the stresses of life doesn't end up becoming a source of stress itself for whatever reason that may be Rene Borg from runningcoach.ie. Rene, great to have you on the show as always. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not so bad, Owen. It's pretty good. So we've got a bit of sunshine here finally uh, before the, the rains returned. So I think that was good for everybody. I know. It's great to see everybody out, isn't it? And people planning about races, maybe starting off, off at a local level before we get to some of the big ones come September and October. Yeah, there's some uh, rumours in the wings, and I don't know how much you've read, um, but uh, obviously the IMRA calendar, you probably mentioned this already earlier in the podcast, so the, there has been a preliminary calendar posted, um, and they don't know, the I think, the exact details. They haven't opened registration yet, but I think there's some kind of expectation that um, running events with 100 people can start from the 17th of June. Um, so, you know, I'd say those tickets obviously are going to be like gold dust, you know. Yeah, well, tune in for the second half of the show, Rennie, because we actually have Richard Noonan coming up from the Irish Mountain Running Association, who's going to take us through the calendar, give us a bit of an overview on IMRA itself. So uh, anybody that's listening in, don't turn off just because you've heard Rennie's good advice this week. Make sure you tune in for the second half of the show where we'll hear all about the calendar and all about all those races to look forward to, Rennie. So I'm really looking forward to that chat. Rennie, we've got a great topic to talk about today. It's a very important important one I think as well because you know a lot of times on this segment of the show we've spoken about the benefits of running the feel-good factor of it the endorphin hit that we all get after doing our run and our training every day but sometimes what we've noticed and especially through your coaching is sometimes that running can actually become a stressor rather than a de-stressor because we all love our training we love preparing for races and sometimes maybe we can get a little bit obsessed with it so it can become a fine line between running being a healthy hobby and exercise and maybe doing a little bit of damage so that's what we we're going to talk about today and maybe I'll hand the, the microphone over to yourself Rennie to I'm sure you've got lots of case studies and examples and research that have come across that that give evidence, if you like, to the, to the argument that running sometimes can be a little bit troublesome. Yeah, well, first of all, as you say, we have a lot of people for whom that's a big problem because the... Actually, the study that made us think about this conversation, I think, Owen, was it was on the Training Peaks blog where there's a lot of interesting articles. They, one of the coaches there was sharing um, a study where they had looked at uh, comparing stress in elite athletes with more recreational uh, athletes or you know at least amateurs even if they were otherwise operating at quite a high level and what they found was that if you look at stress as everything not just training for the elite athlete the vast majority of the total stress in the day is from the training 
But for the others, the recreational, the amateur athlete, most of the stress actually comes from the non-training activity that they do, which could be, you know, it can be work stress. It can be pressures from other things. It can be nutritional stress, improper sleep stress, all these things, mental stress. So I thought that that's quite interesting because that's exactly the picture that we see. You know, we often see problems arising long before the training schedule would kind of lead you to think we're flirting uh, with danger here. You know, quite often problems arise at a point where if, if all you looked at in terms of how much stress is this person coping with is the plan that you have in front of you, it, there's nothing there that looks particularly dangerous. You know, and as I say, sometimes you even see people struggle with injuries or illness, you know, when the training load is actually, you know, ridiculously low. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it is genuinely low. There's nothing there that should cause most anyone any problems um, unless they already were carrying a serious injury, but yet there's problems and the problems won't go away. And I think that that shows that that study is, has uncovered a, a real truth, you know, and then that, and that means for us, who are not pros, we need to focus. We, we can't just look at our training when we have problems and say, that's where the problem is. You know, this because I did this session and it's because I was ramping up my training too quickly. You know, I just shouldn't have done that. And, um, you know, it, it's not impossible that the problem is there, but it's very likely that the real problem is in all the other hours that you have, that that's where the mistakes occurred. So I, I think this conversation today, we can, we can give a few examples of what they found when they looked at that um, and what you would yeah. be looking for you know, in order to um, get that under control. But I think what you specifically are saying there is a very particular type of stress that where it's actually having to do the run or the plan becomes stressful in itself. Yeah. And then even from a physical point of view, Rennie, as well, that if we're just pushing it too much, if we're overtraining, there's a whole rake of symptoms, negative symptoms that come from overtraining that cause that general stress state of the body. And it's not just mental, it's physical as well. From a physiological point of view, if there's too much cortisol floating around the body from stress levels in your day-to-day -day life, and then too much cortisol being produced from too many hard sessions, it's a wicked combination. Yeah, there's this saying, I think we might have mentioned it last year at some stage from the fairly reasonably famous Italian coach, if you're a bit into running called uh, Canova, he, he has this saying that training is the answer. It's not the proposal, you know, and if everyone knows it's a proposal, you know, is if you go to your bride and you ask, will you marry me? Um, it's actually her mood that will determine whether she says yes or no. Right, yeah. <laughs> so you need to look at your body like that like the it how is your body's mood uh, it's not the training you do that actually makes you fitter in isolation your body needs to be receptive to training on that particular day um you could use a farming metaphor as well you know if that makes a bit more sense as in you know you don't expect to go in a desert drop um you know some wheat <laughs> seeds and then suddenly it's all gonna sprout you know you need to actually put it in fertile soil um, yeah, and I'm sure, Renny, it's something that you've experienced yourself personally. I know I've experienced it and also seen it with some of the athletes that we train too. that when, say, in, you're in the middle of a big marathon training block, maybe Dublin is only a couple of weeks away. We can be a little bit crankier, can't we? Because we're we're tired, we're pushing the body, we're stressed out about thinking about a PB or what time target or what mileage we need to get. So, you know, instead of running that being that release, sometimes it can be, yeah, it can cause us more problems. Yeah, exactly. Like this, um, and actually it's funny because those studies we looked at when we were thinking about this topic showed that most of the illness occurred in the last, third, last two months of the training plans of the athletes that they looked at, you know, and it's actually, that's probably that accumulation and the increasing stress, you know, as you get closer to the race, um, that are that because when you, when you speak, you know, you mentioned cortisol levels there, which is the stress hormone and, you know, the, your general mood getting worse. There are actually some of the markers that you can use to try and figure out, well, what is my body's mood like or how fertile is my terrain? You know, how receptive is it uh, to training? So you can look at mood, you can look at cortisol levels, but that's difficult, uh, you know, unless you go to the doctor. You can look at your general fatigue levels, um, both in the morning, you know, and evenings and, and during the day, your muscle soreness levels. Levels. How is that generally? 
you can also use say, the good old resting heart rate. Um, and then the more modern one is the heart rate variability. So that heart rate variability, the higher heart rate variability is the more adaptive the body is to stress. And this is the people who develop heart rate variability monitors, they call this uh, resilience. So they talk about you need to increase your resilience, first of all, because that then means you can do more training and more often and harder, and then you get even more resilient. And that means you get into that positive um, cycle. And that means if you're very into precision and you don't trust your ability to judge your own mood um, and soreness and things like that, because you don't really know the difference, you know, what's good soreness, what's bad soreness, what's, how bad does my mood need to be? You know, maybe that's difficult for some people. I'll give you a good laugh, Rene, that I remember reading an interview with a, an Olympic endurance athlete, I forget who it was, and he was talking about this topic here about overtraining and being ready for race day, being ready for the Olympics. And he was saying that he knew that he was getting his training spot on that when every night when he went to bed with his wife, he was in good humor and he was interested in a little bit of hanky-panky because one, one of course of the big symptoms of overtraining and overdoing it is, is reduced libido. And that's actually, it's a very, very good indicator that if you're overtraining it, if you're overstressed, there won't be any action in that department or you won't be interested in any action in that department. So that's just one to look out for as well. Yeah, totally. And it, it is because obviously it shows something about your hormonal status and also um, the, this rest and digest state that we talk about, parasympathetic nervous system dominance, which is, um, that's what's linked to heart rate variability. So when your rest and digest state dominates, then heart rate variability is high. And this rest and digest is also called feed and breed. And that's what you're alluding to there. The body is not interested basically in procreation when it is feeling under threat, right? And that's the same reason that if you went to, you know, people who are being tortured in Guantanamo, they're not interested, you know, in sexual intercourse or anything like that, because he's no matter what beautiful woman you would put in front of them, because they are in a life or death situation, their body has much more immediate needs uh, to attend to, you know, so maybe that's a bit of a strong example, but I, I was watching the Mar Mauritanian the other day, their own. <laughs> it's a very good film. Yeah. It's yeah. Super funny. Funny, like, we have our symptoms. We've identified that there might be a problem. What are our solutions and what has worked for you in dealing with your own group of athletes over the last couple of years? And I might just maybe kick it off by saying that it's okay to have a day off. I, we can be very obsessive with our running and that we have to get our mileage in, but it is actually okay to take a day off or to have to take an unplanned day off which might cause a lot of people stress where they might need to miss a Wednesday or miss a Monday but it's okay. You're not going to lose any fitness because of it. Yeah, well, there's two tactics we use. The first one is to, to help people understand this thing that, you know, training plus recovery is performance, not training, no recovery because that, yeah. that doesn't equal performance. And for people to buy into that, especially, you know, most of us are compulsive trainers. You know, we are. And uh, we just think we can just keep going and, um, <laughs> and, and push. And, and as I said, we're a little bit, so many of us runners are a little bit obsessive. And, uh, but if some, so sometimes you have to show people some of the studies, for instance, that one I saw just there the other day, where they, they looked at people's self-reported stress scores. And then they looked at after the same type of training, how much did people with low self-reported stress improve versus people with high self-reported stress. And the people who had high self-reported stress increased just over 0%, so basically nothing. Whereas the people with low improved 19%. Yeah. And so consider that first of all. So it means basically get your house in order and, and, and whatever you do, pick a training schedule that allows your training, sorry, your overall stress to be moderate at most. So that means in a way you have to say the goal is not just to do the training at all costs. The goal is to do training that you can do while keeping your stress within a certain level. And I would say probably moderate at most, right? So if the if your training schedule, the way you would like it to be or the way I would like it to be as the coach, creates a situation where you report stress as high, it needs to be scaled back. So that's that's the first thing because then it's going to work 
Whereas it's probably not going to work if we just stay. We say, no, we'll do it because you've done 100 kilometers before. God damn it. You have to do this. You know? yeah. And then you, because right now, maybe you're a project manager. And when you used to do 100 kilometers per hour, you were, I don't know, you know, part-time barista or something. And you, yeah. you were on half days or whatever it was, you know, and no offense. I know that's very busy. Baristas and, out there. and there was one great tip, Rene, from last week's um, episode that we did. And Stephen Moran from Mind, Body and Mountains actually just sent me a message this morning saying that he was listening in. And he just wanted to say thanks to you for passing on this particular one was that it's OK to have your training week over nine or 10 days rather than seven days. So sometimes we get stressed out, for example, about getting our weekly long run in where it's okay to do that long run on the Tuesday and to extend our seven days out to a nine day training block. So Stephen found that very useful. And I think it's a very, very good tip for again, reducing the stress of having to complete your training block within the seven days. Yeah, definitely. And you could, that happens on an annual basis as well. You know, we can, if once we get tied into these long-term goals that we put in place for ourselves, such as, you know, this year I have to do 3000 kilometers. If things conspire early in the year, that makes that nearly impossible. You know, it means that you have to really climb an enormous mountain in the last seven months, you know, before you are going to be really, really stressed all the time because you're basically chasing shadows. So I think you need your goals to be more fluent than that, especially when things have not gone optimally. I think if you've had a great start to a year, then a goal like that is helpful, actually, because, you know, you're already you're attacking it from a positive platform. But the moment you've lost a lot of ground and that goal is actually adding stress, then it would be better, for instance, to say, look, um, I'm not, I might not reach that now because the first three months were bad. But what about looking at improving my rolling average per week? So I return to that level, you know, that average level instead, because you're going to see the improvement week over week then as long as you're consistent. Um, so you can, you know, you can build it into, you can create goals that are counterproductive and you can create goals that help you um, make the right or take the right actions and make the right decisions. Yeah. You know, so I think that you have to think that in to the, the training goals you have. Try and create some goals that force you to train clever rather than goals that will make you make stupid mistakes or take huge risks. Yeah. Another great tip, Rene, that I came across one time was with Brian O'Driscoll, the rugby player. And of course, in running nowadays, we've got so much technology where we record all our training data and we put up our goals, whether it's on our mobile phones and our watches. We're big fans of training peaks as well. But what Brian O'Driscoll used to do with all his rugby training and his um, rugby goals was he would actually write them all down in a notebook. And the reason why he did that was because he could physically write it down with a pen and then he could close the notebook and put it up on the shelf until he needed to look at it again. And his point was that if we do everything on our laptop, on our mobile phone, on our watch, it's constantly on. And therefore, we're constantly, constantly reminded of what we need to do, of what we have to do, where he felt just a very simple physical act of closing the book, his training book, and putting up on the shelf was great in terms, in terms of helping him cope with the stress of being captain of Ireland and being the best rugby player in the country at the time. Um, so that's maybe just another thing for listeners to, to take, bear in mind as well, that yes, we love our fancy watches, we love our apps, we love our, our training peaks applications, but it's okay sometimes maybe just to, to write things down too, to keep it simple. We don't have enough downtime, you know, and this old thing of switching off is critical, you know, learning to switch off, which is something that's become much more difficult because we, instead of switching off, maybe we sit on the couch, the telly's on and we're browsing Twitter. Um, and then we're not really switched off because, you know, if we look back to ancient man, this, this is a story I heard as a child that they were showing, they were saying, why do some people collapse in front of the, the TV at night? And they said they reckoned it was because when, when the hunter gatherers came back to camp, after a hard day out hunting often they would just sit and stare into the fire for a few hours before nighttime and that was kind of their way to just i'm sure they they talked and had a few jokes yeah. as well you'd imagine and then they'd go to sleep and 
if we re- you know if we remember back you know our generation can still remember this there were slightly simpler times because apart from the fact that tv was was much simpler there was less other devices and that often meant by the time you got to nighttime the only thing you could really do was either you know sit and let something just pass you passively by or you might sit at the table with your family and have a very calm chat you know or you might sit in a corner and read a book or People used to have, and some people thankfully still do, have all sorts of hobbies that help themselves, you know, such as uh, writing, something creative. Often, you know, some people potter around in the garden, other people paint. Um, It could be playing some kind of board game, whatever it is, you know, everyone has a different thing. But it's this investment in switching off from the hustle and bustle of life and of training and of work and of duties as a father and a mother or whatnot, and just saying, I'm just going to do something I enjoy now. Uh, I think that having as many hours as possible, and for, even if it's just one, I think that's a huge driver of helping you uh, break the vicious cycle of stress, just building, building, building day on day. So you need to try and carve out those windows for yourself. And you need to see, have I stopped actually doing all that? And am I now, for instance, let's say browsing Facebook, which might seem like something I want to do. But as we all know, you know, browsing social media is can be aggravating for starters, but it's also, um, it triggers something called dopamine in the body. So it's basically like a drug addiction. Um, so you're just feeding a drug addiction and it's stimulating rather than helping you calm down, which is what you need, obviously, to get proper sleep yeah. and proper rest. You know, so that's, so that's really probably where a lot of people, apart from having a, a busy work time, they don't, they don't manage to shed that at night or in the evening. And then it just carries over to the next day and the next day and the next day. And then the training gets, is falling on more and more dry soil. And eventually then something breaks and then we have to figure out, well, what was it actually that caused it? And I'm sure we can all, we all have fallen into the trap, Rene, of just before we go out training, we pick up the phone one more time just to see what's happening, to go through, to scroll through our social media. And before we know it, we're going out for a run 15 minutes behind schedule. Um, It's a nasty trap to fall into and hopefully one that we can all learn to avoid because, uh, yeah, um, it's so important to, to get out and enjoy our running and to make sure that it's not a cause of stress as we've just been talking about it there. Well, just to close off on what you said there, because we've mentioned it before, that is so important that the emotions you experience when you train will directly impact the physiological response. So that means if you have positive emotions, uh, then you will get a more positive physiological response in terms of performance and, and vice versa. And obviously, if you're stressed and you feel like you're always running after things, or you might even feel guilty because you're out there for three hours and you know maybe your attention is needed somewhere else, you're not going to get as good a response and that will stress you. you know, it's that difference between um, what you perceive you can cope with in life. You know, so I think that that is the, the main thing to, to keep in mind. So when you decide your volume, just make sure that, yeah, that you don't feel guilty or stressed out about the fact that you're out there. You know, make sure that you feel you really have time. And of course, putting the phone down <laughs> can help there because it carves out a lot of extra time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Rene, thanks so many for that today. As always, some great tips, some great advice. And if you want to talk to Rene more, you can get him on runningcoach.ie on Facebook and Instagram as well. And he's always there to help. And uh, Rene, we'll look forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, thank you all. My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. For our feature interview this week, I've been looking forward to being in a position to do this now for a few months, to have somebody from the Irish Mountain Running Association to dial in and chat about their calendar of races for this year, and to take a bit of a deep dive on the association itself. And as you'll hear, the Irish Mountain Running Association is over 40 years old, long before such a thing as a podcast ever existed. Richard Noonan, Secretary of Inware. Richard, very welcome back to the show. I think the last time we were talking, you were on the side of a mountain somewhere. Was it talking about the trial race for the World Championships in, was it last year? 
And then, of course, it was cancelled. We all know what happened. It was last year in Ballyhora, if I'm not mistaken, was the last time we were chatting. Hi, Owen. Hardings. Good, good, Richard. And listen, I mean, we've got better news to report on, of course, this week. And I'm sure you were a happy man, Richard Witt. Finally, last week, Imrit were in a position to launch this year's racing calendar. Yeah, we were delighted on um, Obviously, we do a lot of background, a lot of work in the background that people might be aware of. So uh, we were, we've been watching the updates and the COVID updates over the last couple of months. And, you know, ideally we would have been launching a calendar in January as we normally do. But um, we kind of just made the decision this year just to hang on and just wait until we had facts rather than uh, speculation. I think we had enough of that last year. Uh, and obviously being a, a not-for-profit organisation, we're, we're still working through the refunds and transfers and all those kind of components in the background. So just as we kind of get up to date on that uh, and get the back end working on that, we have to step into doing the, the draft calendar. And then of course, you know, we've got to do all those transfers now in the background now that we've actually established which, which calendar, which race can happen on which date, but absolutely delighted that we can give people the news that we start racing again on the 16th of June, 2021. Very good. And what we were hoping to do today, Richard, was maybe just for those that are relatively new to trail and mountain running, to give people an overview of Imra, but maybe we could start off having a look at the calendar to see what races are still accessible for people. I know, that, as you said, there's a lot of people that will be transferring race entries over from last year. So maybe the first couple of minutes, we could go through the calendar, any highlights that you have, any favourite races of yours that are on the calendar, races that might be ideal for beginners, the, the harder, more difficult races. So maybe will we go through the calendar quickly, Richard, and I'll sure. let you lead the way on it. Uh, I'll do my best. Um, and I guess as I start, I should firstly thank uh, Lillian, who, Lillian Deegan, who actually coordinates the calendar on our behalf. And she's worked really well with uh, Connor, with Laura, the president, and a couple of people. So it's, just to say, there's a huge effort to, that goes into behind the calendar. So thanks to the team that have done that. So, um, and of course, now I'm going to be privileged to be able to talk through it. So where do we start? I guess maybe just one thing to highlight this year versus last year. So we would normally have leagues and championships, you know, a lot of them throughout the year. This year, we're kind of restricted with the numbers, even though we've got about 50 races over the year, we have a kind of a Munster Championship, a Leinster Championship and a Connacht Championship. So we won't be able to hold a, an Irish Championships this year because the number of races to try and consolidate them into the, the period that we have makes it a bit difficult. So that will kind of give you an idea of the kind of, you know, the thought and the process and the thinking that has to get into, you know, having all these events over the next three to four months. Sure. Um, and at the moment, Richard, are you working on the basis that you'll be able to run each race with 100? Is that where you are now? So we're at about, um, there's, if you look at the government restrictions, actually the way we run in races, we are at about 150 because we have a, an early start juniors and a main race. So we kind of have three waves per race. So that enables us to run about 150 in a race. So, and then in July, you know, as the country is up to the, to the next phase from the fourth, it's 200 plus, depending on the size of the venue is the restriction. So being an outdoor sport, we don't have a venue size. So we should be able to get, you know, sign off for 200 plus, you know, the restriction again is more like landowners, Quilcha, uh, the national parks, they're kind of really what kind of gives us the restriction up to that point. So what we do is we we align our races in accordance to our COVID protocols in accordance with Sports Ireland Athletics Ireland, and then we drive our numbers from that and get sign off and go on that basis. Okay, but then I might ask Richard from maybe both perspectives for somebody that's listening in and that maybe hasn't run an IMA race before, can they run IMA races this year or are you just restricting it for members only? No, so, so everybody can join EMRA and go to the imra.ie website and sign up for your annual membership. It's actually been open from the start of the year because uh, we worked with Sarah and Paul to do kind of a, a coming back to the mountains, some virtual events because we were a little bit nervous that people would come back to the mountains and get injured straight away on, oh, you know, how this stays yourself. So yeah. we took the time out for people to get engaged. So neither when we did the virtual event, we opened up the membership. So we already have, you know, quite a number of new members and regular members coming back. So that's been great to see. So like if you log on to the website, join as a member, and then you'll see the the races on the events tab that are listed and the you'll see the click on the races and it'll tell you when the race is about to open. Generally we do kind of two or three days before they open um, and it'll tell you the number of people that can enter the race, etc. And you'll see it, you can purchase your races in that way. 
Very good. Um, I know it's probably a very hard question to ask you. Your, your favorite races on the calendar, but maybe just to give people a pointer, um, what are the more popular races? Maybe say, especially for the beginners again who are listening in, what races should they be looking out for? And um, that may be ideal for beginner level or for somebody who isn't familiar with Imra and they want to come along, try it out. Give, give us a couple of pointers. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the way we run the calendar every year, right, is we start with gradual base races. So if you ha- if it has the word trail on it, that's a good insight. But I mean, if you look on the, the website, it tells you the type of race, the climb, the distance. OK, so I think anybody starting, you know, there's some very nice, the, the Belmont, the Sugar Roof, Scar, Sorrel Hill. These are lovely races. OK, Scar's got a bit of a fall summit, but Sorrel Hill is a fantastic beginner race for anybody that wants to start off. It's down in Wicklow and um, it's got a lovely climb you know up a bit of fire rolling up onto a hill and then a great bouncy descent off it and, uh, and it's a really good one to get your get stuck into it you know so and then obviously i think everybody's favorite uh is brocca and it's great to see that kind of wednesday night race in june again brocca is yeah. really well known for the really you know it's a slog up but it's worth the reward on the way back um it's a long one it's 11k and um, but again 443 meter climb and it's a great bouncy descent off and especially in june you know, that it's so dry, that the, that the you know, the growth is so low, you'll be able to fly down and off that outside. It's good crack. I mean, you, you get the occasional tumble over heels on the way down. So there's the bonus. And of course, one famous one, Richard, which I don't think is happening this year, and correct me if I'm wrong, which is a very popular one, and it brings in runners from all different codes and disciplines, is the Wicklow A Relay. Is that on this year, or will we have to wait until next year for that one? Yeah, that's going to be, I'm afraid, that's, that's going to be on next year. Um, the reason for that, as you know, it's it has it's quite a complex operation to run. And when you've got yeah. COVID restrictions and you're not really sure which way they're going to land, because the way, you know, it's a relay of 10 people along the Wicklow Way, we, we just, we weren't really sure if, you know, if people be able to pick up people and drive and, you know, there's restrictions in terms of wearing masks and cars, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we kind of cancelled that last year for that reason. Um, and we decided to do the same this year because the cap, like, it's one thing having races, but the races in public spaces that are used by other people for recreational purposes. So we just felt running a race of that magnitude at that speed through those recreational points really wasn't worth it for us this year, you know. Yeah, well, I'm sure everybody will be looking forward to what 2022, Richard, when that one comes back, because I know over the last five or six years it's been an absolutely a festival of mountain running hasn't it and there's been a great battle of course between my own club Raffarnham and TT Racers and I know David Power who does a bit of blogging um, from Raffarnham he described the Wicklow A Relay as I think the grand national of mountain running and a potential for disaster a long attritional course a big field form guides chopping and changing of runners and riders it's an absolutely brilliant race so again for the beginners that are listening in to experience some of the other races maybe this year and that's a lovely one for next year to look forward to to run with your mates absolutely brilliant yeah and exactly to run with your mates is absolutely a perfect way of putting it we have the trackers now to make it even more exciting that we can watch it as it goes because that was all the difficulty you're waiting around for half an hour or maybe three hours if you're if your runner got lost right on their section they hadn't done the recce well enough yeah, and watch the race a little bit better and manage it a little bit better, which is good for us because you know there's because the race is so popular, you know it can some of the spots like Iron Bridge and stuff can get a lot of cars, so it's much better now that we can manage it with that a little bit easier. But we usually have that kind of in May as well, so you know that we're not trying to impede on public. So because we have to start races on the middle of June, it's quite difficult to try and squeeze that one in and still you know be able to manage it the way we have to. So yeah, next year absolutely. And your own race, Richard, that's um, up and running for September 4th and August 29th, I think. The Morris yeah. Mullins, for anybody that doesn't know it, it has an absolutely super reputation. You've got more or less the half marathon and the full marathon. Yeah, that's correct. So again, we were waiting to make sure that we had you know, the capacity that we could run. We split it last year for the first time, so because we're now getting to a capacity of about 600 people. So with COVID restrictions, then you're looking at 200, 300, 500. So we made the decision to push that out to September 1 because we feel that people need to get back into the hills and get themselves customised back to the mountains. So we felt three months was a good period to kick off the calendar and then that they can train for, you know, in a kind of back into the hills, get themselves 
out there, get the running legs on, and then they'll be ready to run the, the 50-odd K for Morris Mullins in September. Yeah, and I suppose your own experience of, you know, the Emma races over the years, Richard, um, for me, they, they remind me a little bit of the, the old business house races um, on the road scene and the cross-country scene. That real family atmosphere, we're not talking about thousands at races, you know, the 200, 250 or so with the, with the sandwiches and scones afterwards, and just a lovely atmosphere at these races. Yeah, I mean, it's superb, right? So I think, I think the Wednesday Night League is something that is a void for a lot of people. I and mean, why is that? Because, you know, it's, it's on hump day, so you broke up the week. You, you did the run. It was at 7.30. It finished at 9. Everybody gathered in the pub where sandwiches and sausage rolls. It's been interesting now over the years to see it's a Coke and, and a, the old black current is appearing as opposed to the shovel loads of pints of Guinness that it used to be on. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah. um, so things have got a bit better on that front because, you know, the, the zero drink has been interesting. But it's just like that's where you meet your friends and, you know, that's where you discuss the scars of the race and the results come in. And, you know, there's all you're always racing somebody. You know, it's not just about the top five or the top ten, right? I mean, everybody in the summer league is racing somebody in their league. So it's always great, great atmosphere and good crack after. Absolutely. And I think we were talking just offline before we came on about just the difference between road running and mountain running. And of course, the, the massive difference is that when you're doing these races, sure, they're, they're competitive, but we don't have to be looking at our watch in terms of how fast we're running each mile, how fast we're running each kilometre. There's great crack, great camaraderie. It's just you against the mountainside. And isn't there something wonderful about finishing off a day's work and going down to whether it's a Leinster League race or another December race on the calendar and just spending the evening time with nature, with your mates. It's fantastic. And as looked, I mean, that was one of the reasons that we kept in the the Munster, the Connacht and the, you know, the Leinster champs was so that we could have those Saturday races, like the, the Connacht champs, I don't know if you've ever been, but it's kind of two races back to back. And it's, it, and it's really interesting that you see, because everybody kind of heads down to Connacht for the weekend and everybody races the hard race on the first day. And then it's the kind of the, I'm going to say the semi-hard race on the second day. I mean, there's been some great battles up and down Crowpatrick on the first day, and then it's usually Neffin or something soft kind of on, on the second day. So I think this year we have Mulrees on Saturday, August the 7th, which is a fantastic mountain if we ever get to see the top of it and it's not in cloud. And then on the Sunday we have Neffin. But I mean, I can tell you some great stories of even um, having went down myself and uh, done the early start off Crowpatrick, left my uh, kids with my wife and she was going to do the, the normal start. And then I came back, uh, got a bit, little bit lost um, and I uh, came back and my kids were in somebody else's car, Vivian O'Gorman, who you'd know very well, minding my, my babies as they were at the time. And yeah. there was myself and my wife out in the hills. And of course, my wife beat me because I'd went so badly wrong. But um, sure, look, Alan Ailing will never let me leave it down. But I mean, that's just, you know, part and parcel of who Imra are, what Imra are. Like, it's just fantastic. It's really lovely, as you said, family atmosphere, coming to the finish line, having a bit of cake or a cup of tea or whatever. And it's been a real awakener, like, because obviously with COVID last year and the restrictions, I mean, we, we couldn't do any of that. Do you know what I mean? But yet everybody is so respectful and you know so helpful towards us and and obeyed the call but i mean that, and that's what everybody was missing you know what i mean but hopefully now this year we can get a little bit back to that you know yeah and Imre, it's been around now which for such a long time as well i mean it's so well established and um, i was chatting to jonathan wyatt as you know the, the president of the international mountain running association a couple of episodes back and they were founded in 1984 but Imra has been in existence, you let me know, during the week since 1981. Yeah. Incredible. So I'd say 1980. It could be 80 or 81. Now, Kathleen Bent would probably kill me for getting this wrong. 40 so, years. Wow. 40 years, yeah. So I kind of trying to figure out where we are. Is it 41 already at this month? I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, 40. And is, there, is there anybody, Richard, do you know that has been running all so, 40 years? So Kathleen Bent is, uh, I won't say what age she is, but I know she did a category last year where she was the the eldest lady in her category. So she definitely would have the photographs and the stories. I mean, so I think she was there from the initial days, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And then there's obviously a whole lot of stalwarts. I mean, Joe Lawler, um, obviously Brendan Lawler, like there's a whole plethora of guys that have been around there, John Fitz and a couple of them that have been around for a very long time, you know, Tommy Tumble. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of legends around Imra. So 
Yeah, as you said at the top of the interview, it's a volunteer organization. And just, I suppose, for people that maybe aren't familiar with the Irish Mountain Running Association, the objectives, Richard, are to organize and promote the sport of mountain running, hill running, and trail running across Ireland. And of course, to do that, you need your committee, you need your volunteers. So maybe just briefly, Richard, talk to us about the the makeup of the organisation. There's a very strong committee there, lots of different roles as well. How often do you meet and how often do you you, you plan ahead? Um, We meet, I think, every day because we have emails (laughs) every day. Um, I don't think ever a day goes by. Actually, just just to talk about that, I think that's that's huge. I've, I've sat on the committee on and off for... I've been on it for 10 years. Uh, I took one year out, so I've done the kind of results, the, the president and the general secretary. So I've been around for a while. And obviously the, the Munster guys are, you know, they have, they're kind of a, a sub-entity of us as well. So, you know, the likes of Tom Blackburn, Robbie, um, they all do a great job down there as well. So the, the executive committee is made up of, luckily for us, we've got a, a nice team of strong women, uh, Laura, president, um, Miriam, Angela, Lillian, uh, Alice, who has joined us this year as the ordinary member at Make who's our honorary auditor. Um, and then the, the, the lads group is myself and Paul and um, the Alan and Brian and Leo Robbie and Jason, who has the, the really difficult job of looking after the, the website. And, uh, you know, the website sounds simple to a lot of people, but people forget that we're a 24-7 organisation, even though we're voluntary, like people buy... Uh, race entries all the time they want the results corrected all the time you know uh, we live in this kind of um, this millennial world on where people expect everything all the time and as a voluntary organization it's a, it's a full-time role for many of us you know so- i have to you know just give a shout out to the team that, that look after the website which i mean i've been running in races for 10 years and uh, it's an incredible website you can go in put in anybody's name and all their results come up even photographs of yeah. that person will come up from all the races that they've ran in of course the calendar is superbly um, structured on the website as well it's an incredible database it's a fantastic Absolutely. tool but if you take something small like us trying to you know postpone i won't say cancel races last year as a volunteer organization and the amount of you know backwards and forwards that polo morocco had to do in terms of financial work you know connor trying to get races moved on Lillian trying to reorganize, Laura then trying to, you know, keep us all calm, you know, it's just kind of Miriam the great, you know, remediate or mediator, I should say, and trying to keep the juniors alive and moving at the same time. It's And then, of course, the high performance team, you know, I mean, it's just, it's nonstop, but that's kind of how we're structured. Look, we're a great team. Everybody helps everybody. Um, there's never a, a cry for help. And I think on the back of that committee, then we're really, really lucky that we have so many fantastic volunteers. Like we now have, pretty solid list of race directors that run the races and that's how like the committee is kind of more about governance um, and setting up the year but really it's, we rely on the race directors and our you know our huge volunteer community to actually run the races um, I don't want to you know we're, we're quite proud that we have kept races at seven euro an entry I mean you know we, we spoke offline there about things like the Ironman taking over U, UTMB <laughs> like when you look at that you know, yeah. compared to a, a twenty a twenty euro Morris Mullen race in September, you know, there's, there's a huge gap. And you know, yeah. we, we and even the membership, which as well, what's the current price to become a member? Again, so economical. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ten euro, and then it's seven ah, euro. Incredible, price. yeah. So, so I mean, it's, yeah. I won't say it, it's great value. You can do the Wickler round as the, the best value all, all around. Um, yeah 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 well in realizing all the work that you do there Richard I mean it's pretty much you're you're looking after the sport of mountain and trail running in Ireland ensuring that there's safe races which as we've seen over the last couple of weeks it's so so important how much interaction and support do you get from say Athletics Ireland and Sport Ireland because there's other countries around Europe where mountain running and trail running is actually part of the National Athletics Federations and their coaches and organizers are actually paid employees of the Athletics Federation. So maybe talk to us if you can a little bit about the relationship between Athletics Ireland and Sports Ireland. How much, if any, is there? Yeah, I mean, like firstly, you know, because we do select a team um, to go to the World Championships and the European Championships, as you've outlined in both the mountain and trail, um, it's hugely important that you know, people can represent their country. They can get to 
running the green stripes. So, you know, we are affiliated with Athletics Ireland. Um, they are a fantastic body in terms of governance that we can rely on for, you know, the policies and procedures that we need to run our sport. And that's hugely important to us. Um, and, I mean, in fairness to Athletics Ireland, they do give us that autonomous role that we can run mountain running without interference, if I can say that. Yeah. Uh, but still, if we need them, you know, we have great support from Pat Ryan on the HPC level. Myself and Laura have met Hamish. Laura has worked really well, actually, this year in getting our memorandum of understanding signed off between both entities. Um, and, you know, they're huge, huge fans. Like Athletics Ireland, as you can understand, are under huge pressure this year themselves, not being able to have races, not being able, you know, they're reliant totally on their, their funding from their, their membership. And without that, you know, they would be in a very a very weak place because you know they've had the you know the great experience of being able to have numerous races over the years as you know and and this year all that was gone but they still have given us you know they they provide us with limited funding and that's come true again this year they provide us with the gear for runners and then you know they they include us then in terms of the policy and procedures the governance that we require can you ever foresee a day, maybe in the not too distant future, Richard, where there's actually an official position within Athletics Ireland, the paid position where somebody can be in there full time, trying to manage and coordinate all the different strands of mountain and trail running? Because it's such a growing sport, and you know races are growing and growing, and it's so important that races are managed well and safely. Is that something that that, that might work, or is it even realistic? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's absolutely would be fantastic to have a full time role in athletics. Ireland. I mean, it's something that we're battling with ourselves that we think that we need a full time, you know, full time officer um, in Imra. As I said to you, kind of, you know, a couple of minutes ago, it's it's a twenty four seven operation, and it's kind of something that we have discussed among the committee that we need support from an admin perspective because it's getting so complicated. You know, because we have, as I said. The online, the races, like where we're getting close to between 70 and 100 races a year. Like, you know, the huge effort that goes in for a lot of people just to create and run one race. So, you know, to do that amount of them is, is just phenomenal. Yeah. And to be fair to Athletics Ireland, they're hugely complimentary of that and the successful job that we do, you know, that we have never had, you know, touch wood, any issues. But I mean, that's again down to the longevity of some really great race directors, some really great support that the committee gets on an ongoing basis and the volunteer organisation that we've built over the 40 years. Yeah. We mentioned the Irish international teams there briefly, Richard, as well. And of course, IMRA organised and select those teams. And over the years, Ireland have had some incredible results and achievements. John Lenehan, who's been on the show, world champion in 1991. Sarah McCormick, who's been a leading light for mountain running and, and female running as well over the last couple of years. She won the World Cup in 2019. The ladies team won bronze in 2013 at the World Championships. And, and Zach Hanna is ranked in the top five or six in the world at the minute. So there's been lots of good results over the years. Yeah. And this year, the World Championships are due to be in Thailand with the potential of sending a very, very big team because the World Championships have expanded, of course, with the vertical kilometer race, the short course classic distance, the marathon and the ultra marathon. What do you think, Richard? Will, will the World Championships go ahead, do you think? And so most importantly, will Imre be in a position to be able to send potentially a 30 or 40 strong team to, to cover all those different distances? Well, I think firstly we should we should go back to the the highest ranked um, female that Ireland has ever had, which is Sarah McCormick, who was actually number one in the world um, last year. So it was quite a it was quite a shame for you know the way the year closed in last year, right? Nearly disappeared because I think it would have been amazing to see Sarah in action and just to see you know what she could have actually done. Because I think I really feel she was coming to her peak. You know yourself, she had some amazing races. The, some of the only races kind of the one that stands out for me in terms of how that finished, but um, it would be really, really good to actually see how she would have got to perform. Um, and as you mentioned as well, of course, Zach is just going from 
strength to strength. So it'd be really good to see yeah. um, him. And, and as well, you know, people like Paddy, Paddy O'Leary is is also growing strength to strength. It'd be interesting to see if he's going to turn up in the... He is going to the UTMB again this year to see how he'll do. Yeah, it absolutely. And I might just give a shout out as well, Richard, to um, Sarah's teammates in 2013, Kate Cronin and Sarah Mulligan. And wouldn't it be great to see those two ladies back racing strong as well? Because at the end of the day, they were on the podium in a world championship, you know, with so many powerhouses around the world, like your Italy's, your Spain's, America, um, Team GB, to get on the podium that day was an incredible result. It wasn't too long ago, 2013. And, you know, those girls, they could easily do that again. I remember going to the airport to meet them um, and feeling very out of my depth at the time in 2013 as president of Jerry Brady had said you need to come meet these people and had total understanding for what they had achieved own and absolutely yeah. incredible I mean it was only the beginning for for them you know and it was it was just it was so impressive at the time there was no um there was no huge bus top around Dublin unfortunately <laughs> for the, for those ladies but um absolutely superb and you know they've they've stayed true to the sport and, and continue to go really really well you know so absolutely right to call it out yeah for this year Richard what do you think um I suppose maybe a personal opinion first do you think Thailand will go ahead and then secondly will we be in a position to be able to send a team so the first thing we're watching obviously is the Olympic Games um in Japan um while it's not at the same level as the world championships I think you need to look at Asia and you need to see what can be achieved um in terms of world championships so we discussed this uh, the week before um you know what because it's the event, because the way they closed down last year's event and because they're really, really pushing hard for it to go ahead, I, I personally think the event will go ahead. Um, I don't think the field will be as high as it has been on previous years, but I think because they have invested so heavily in getting this event in this year and getting it right, um, and you know how hard it is to do, and they are providing a lot of grants to try and get teams and spec not spectators, sorry, athletes uh, to the event. So the meeting that we had last week, we were all in favor of doing, you know, really looking to see if it's feasible. So we're doing that cost-based analysis at the moment um, to see how many people we'll send. Because as you said, there's quite a number of categories this year. So I think we're looking at the region of six different teams for six different events. So we're going to make some decisions on that over the coming weeks. Yeah, um, I know from talking to Jonathan Y at that time, Richard, that we were just talking about the World Championships and why they were in Thailand. It just seems maybe a strange place to have a World Championships given the, the current climate that we're in. And just like what you mentioned there, he was saying that one of the reasons why he went to Thailand was because they were able to provide so much investment in being able to help teams with funding and at an organizational level there as well. And because, as we were saying, the new World Championship format, it's going to be an incredible celebration of mountain and trail running because for the first time ever, we'll have all four different race distances together. So it's really, really going to help grow the sport and maybe help the sport get to realize that dream of becoming an Olympic sport one day. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, it's it needs to kind of stick in under IAF, right? So I think, you know, moving the, the mountain running and those components of that sport underneath IAF should should help a little bit stronger. Um, I, I think from our perspective, we just need to be careful it doesn't dilute it um, because we're not like other countries, right, that have many, many athletes that can do the different distances. Like you mentioned there, there's the vertical, there's the classic, there's the 80. You know, sometimes we've had situations where the same people have went for either, right? So we just need mm -hmm. to make sure that we can still build and develop a stronger team. So you're right. It's important that, number one, it goes ahead, that it stays in that format. So people like Miriam, when they're looking at their juniors, that we can start to invest in juniors and grow them that direction. So then as the sport progresses and moves along, that we can start to, you know, populate teams who can go there and perform and, and go well for Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I might just finish off this segment of the interview saying, Richard, that, I mean, it was my dream to, to represent Ireland in a sporting environment when I was a little kid. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to do it with the Irish mountain running team. And for anybody that's listening in that has that same dream to run and represent their country, you know, this is a great opportunity to do it, to use maybe speed and strength from the cross country and the road transfer it over to the mountains work hard at it come out to the trial races come out to the leinster leagues and the munster league races 
and you never know over time you might just make one of those teams and the atmosphere and the camaraderie on these teams is just it's incredible they're always so well organized never a bad word said and it, it's a real privilege to represent um, Ireland at these international competitions so just a shout out for anybody that's listening in dreams do come true absolutely well, Richard, maybe to, to finish off this interview for today, we've been speaking a lot about Imrep, but you're, you're an experienced and very well-read mountain and trail runner. To finish off about your own career, Richard, where, where do we start? Um, UTMB, all the various races over the years. What has been your own highlight? Oh, God, that's a tough question. I suppose, yeah, so one of my highlights actually would have been I got the opportunity in the Trail the Trail the Guardian of France to actually wear the green. That was one. So I qualified to go and represent Ireland in that race, um, which was definitely one of the highlights, but also it was an absolute baptism of fire <laughs> because the quality is so high, right? I mean, uh, and it's it's tough. Like, you know, you're, 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 you're um, it's pretty much balls out from the start and it continues that way until you die. And that was my experience. Um, but other than that, uh, obviously the UTMB race, I'm a huge fan of um, been going, to, I think I've done all the UTMB races since 2013. Um, and the highlight for me is the, the, the PTL is probably the, the best race I've ever done. And the Petit Tour Loire. It's uh, what I like about it is, and, I, and it's, it really struck a chord in me last week when I saw the, um, what went on in the Chinese race um, I was telling people the story of in the, in the PTL, you arrive to the kit check and there's just a piece of paper on the table that you just sign your name to it. And the fact that you're standing there signing that piece of paper means you're taking full responsibility what's about to happen to you for the next five days on the mountains. And if you can't sign that piece of paper, you really shouldn't be there. And, um, you know, that just kind of, that just gives you the essence of what the PTL, what the UTMB hopefully will continue to be. And, you know, what it is to be able to run and to live and, love the mountains and um you know i mean that's what Emmer is all about right it's about getting people onto the hills to enjoy the experience and getting to get into the love the sport that is mountain running who were your teammates that day richard for the ptl for the ptl uh zoran and uh tour tour be an adventure racing friend of mine for about i'd say eight years we've um we've, we've raced a lot together uh, so yeah, there are my two two teammates up there, and I think you remember us like coming across the line and the shock when you saw an Irish team crossing yeah. the PTL. I still remember your face, like going, "I'm from Ireland." <laughs> I was like, "I know, how's it going, man?" I know and hopefully we'll see lots more <laughs> Irish flags there this summer Richard now, not too far away only about what about 10 10 12 weeks away maybe yeah back in the, the end of August yeah back yeah. I mean it's great there's a lot of people on the fence that kind of you know stayed with it and, and, and made their bookings and had bookings actually uh, last year we booked our hotel and we were surprised they gave us a refund of um, 160 because when they pushed it from last year to this year it was going to be cheaper because we'd been booking it so far in advance. So I was kind of laughing that we were actually getting money back. Um, but yeah, an awful lot of people are heading out there this year. TDS, CCC, UTMB, um, and the, the YCC. There's a couple of people there as well. So it's, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, Very good. And just to finish off, Richard, today, and just to finish off with an Imre question, I suspect the, the next couple of months are just to get through the calendar safely, to get races happening, get everybody back out, enjoying races on the mountains. I mean, have you even spoken about what the short to medium term goals are? Is it just to continue to promote the sport of trail and mountain running? Will there be a big drive to increase membership? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think absolutely the the key thing for us now is to get, you know, people back out onto the hills safely, get them racing, you know, getting them to enjoy the mountains again. And I think if we can achieve that as a step this year, that'll be a huge step in itself. You know, we need people to kind of get out of COVID, get past it. Like, you know, where very well the, the, the mental health issues that people have and the importance of running an exercise. And I think our focus is to get people back, back on having the journey, get back to the hills, back to enjoying themselves and back to enjoying the summer. And then from there, you know, we take stock and we start to look at, you know, a new committee, a new AGM, hopefully not a virtual AGM like we had to do last year. And then we start to plan out the, the years ahead. Yeah. Has there ever been any thoughts, Richard, about trying to do a very big, I don't like using the word commercial type race, but we've seen a lot of the independent trail races over the last couple of years do so well. The likes of Kerryway Ultra, Eco Trail, the Moran Skyline as well, that 
get you know a couple of thousand runners nearly out running in the event over the course of a weekend. Is that format something that IMRA would like to do? Um, I think we're very proud of IMRA, and I think we're very proud of the essence of IMRA and keeping the races accessible and at a kind of a, a healthy financial level. Um, you know, because we're quite proud of our volunteers and and then the spirit of IMRA is something that's really huge. And I think when you do the races, you come to realize what that is and how important that is, just like it is the mountains themselves. But I think what we look at this year is, you know, something that we kind of nearly accidentally fell upon last year is obviously, you know, Robbie is looking at the reeks and trying to broaden that out and making that a kind of a, a sky run type race, which are becoming very popular across Europe. And um, we have a very nice setup achieved now for the Morris Mullins also. Um, so you'll see we've taken over this kind of huge car park that used to be where they filmed the Vikings and stuff. And we're kind of saying, you know, we might make that something a bit more a barbecue and a DJ and start to maybe expand that race a little bit more. And that's why we've kind of split the, the, the trail on the Morris Mullen. But um, I mean, we're always looking at, I won't say reinventing, but absolutely developing and making things, you know, better and bigger. So I would say watch out for that over the, over the next couple of years. Here's to the next 40 years, Richard. It's been an absolute privilege today. Thanks a million for your time this evening, Richard. And um, we look forward to seeing everybody out running in IMRA races over the course of the summer. And as I said, wouldn't it be great to have another successful 40 years? Absolutely. Thanks very much, John. And we can't wait to see everybody back in the hills, smiling. Fantastic. Okay. Take care, Richard. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. That's a wrap for this week everyone, hope you enjoyed the show with Richard and as you heard from Richard, a tremendous amount of work goes in behind the scenes there at Imre to get a super racing calendar up every year in a safe and organised way for the participants. Fair play to Laura and all the committee and best of luck to them over the rest of the year. One final ask to check out our Patreon page guys if you can, the pledges there every month do help keep the show going so your 3 or 6 euros, whatever it might be, do make that difference if you get a moment to do it. Have a super super week everyone out there running and training, thank you for your support of the show, let's get ready for all those races, I can feel it in the air, everybody is getting stronger and fitter, so let's get our running gear on, let's go.